You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open the Holy Scriptures together. We turn to the letter of Paul to the church at Rome, Romans chapter 6. And we'll read the verses 1 to 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. We also turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 26. Question and answer 69. And there it reads, How does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you? In this way, Christ has instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul. That is all my sins. Beloved well, congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, you may, after listening to our scripture reading and to our catechetical reading, wondering what's going on here. Here we are about to celebrate the supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the sermon or the sermonette text is all about baptism. So how does this work? Has the pastor got things mixed up today? How can a sermon on baptism introduce the sacrament of the Lord's Supper? Well, beloved, in and of itself, that's not so difficult. We'll look closely at Lord's Day 26. Look especially at question 69. Does it not ask, how does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross 
benefits you. If you listen carefully, you will hear here that the catechism links together baptism and sacrifice, sacrament and cross. Therefore, there's obviously a close connection between them. And indeed, beloved, there is. And that, beloved, is not just a categorical invention. No, it comes directly from Holy Scripture itself. Just a moment ago, we read together those majestic words of the Apostle Paul at the beginning of Romans 6. What do you find there? Once again, you find this very close connection between baptism and the death of our Lord. Look at the verses 3 and 4. Oh, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Notice here the linkage between baptism and death. Between the baptism of God's people and the death of God's Son. You see, these two are connected. And because they're connected, I'd like to preach to you briefly this morning on the theme, Baptized into His Death, or Baptized into the Death of Jesus Christ. Well, beloved, a close look at Romans 6 and Lord's Day 26 cannot help but remind us that there is this intimate connection between Christ and those who believe in Him. And you know, earlier in the Gospels, the Lord Jesus Christ had repeatedly stressed this unity between Himself and the believers. Take, for example, His words in John 15 about the vine and the branches. There He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And there He intimates, of course, this very close connection between the the vine and the branches. The vine nourishes the branches. And as long as the branches remain in Him, they live. And ultimately they will be fruitful. In short then, there is this intimate union between them. Through faith, believers like us are united to Christ. We are united, as it were, to His life. We are united to His power. We are united to His very person. But there is more. For what the Apostle Paul is stressing here in Romans 6 and what the Catechism is stressing in Lord's Day 26 is that we are not just united to the person of Jesus Christ. We are also united to His work, to His great and glorious redeeming work. Paul writes that we were buried with Him through baptism into death. That we have been united with Him like this in His death. That we have died with Christ. The Catechism says that His blood and Spirit wash away the impurity of my soul. Now, beloved, this work of Christ to which we are united involves more than just His death. You could say it also has to do with His resurrection. Paul comments on that as well. It has to do too with His ascension. It has to do with His ruling at the right hand of God at this very moment. 
It has to do with his coming again on the clouds of glory. As believers, we are united to all of his redeeming deeds and acts. But still, beloved, when all is said and done, it is this dying with Christ that is still first and foremost. Yes, and it is this dying that Paul and the catechism connect You'll notice the baptism. Maybe more than anything else, it's the imagery of baptism that drives this connection. For there's little doubt that what the Apostle Paul has in mind here is the image of total immersion. Here's someone in the early church who professes faith in Christ and wants to be baptized. And so what did the church often do, especially in the summer? The church would take him or her down to the river. And then the one performing the ceremony and those who are about to receive it would go into the river together. And then the baptismal formula, I baptize you into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit would ring out. And the person would go under, completely under the water. And for a few seconds it was as if they were gone. Vanished, no more, drowned, dead. But then suddenly there would be this explosion of water. And they would be back in the land of the living and the breathing. Now the Apostle Paul says, you know, all of that, that's a very apt way of describing what happens to believers in Christ. It's as if we all went into the river soiled and stained, sinners and scoffers. But that there we died in Christ. That there we were washed by Christ. That there we were buried with Christ. And that there we rose again with Christ. And when we rose again, we came back as new people. We came back as new people because of Christ. The catechism would say we came back as washed people, cleansed people, renewed people. We've died with Christ. But still, beloved, that does raise a few questions, doesn't it? And maybe the main one is this, if we have died with Christ, if our sins have been nailed to the cross, if all of that is past, why does the New Testament still speak so often of our need to die? I remind you of Colossians 3, 5, which commands us, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Or what about Ephesians 4, which is all about the putting off and the putting on? Or what about Romans 13, 14, where Paul tells the believers to clothe themselves with the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, beloved, if we have put on Christ already at our baptism, why do we still need 
to clothe ourselves with Him. Well, you know, it appears as if the New Testament is saying we are a new people and we still need to become a new people. Yes, I'm beloved, in a way that's right. There is a sense in which we need to become what we already are. We need to become what we already are. Now, maybe that's difficult to understand. Perhaps an illustration will do. You come to Canada, as many of you did as an immigrant, and after a few years in this country, you decide to apply for Canadian citizenship. You pass the test, you know, that test, I think they still have it, where you learn a few facts and a bit of geography. You swear an oath, and you're a Canadian. But are you really a Canadian? Can a few years in this country truly make you Canadian? Hardly, I would say. You may have the name and you may have the status, but the reality takes longer. For the reality to sink in requires time and experience. You need to know more about the language and the culture and the geography and the history, and even, I dare say, the politics. And so you, you can say that you became a Canadian in that courtroom. But afterwards, you're still in the process of becoming a Canadian. Now, beloved, in a limited way, baptism is like that. It gives you a new name, it gives you a new identity, it gives you a new status. However, thereafter comes a lifetime of working it out, putting it into practice, applying it, and living it. Yes, and beloved, to help you and to assist you in living out your baptism. You can say God gives you the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. This meal is to remind you of where your unity in Christ began. And to strengthen you and to encourage you in this marvelous, mysterious unity. Indeed, this meal, beloved, is meant to remind you of your new identity. And you know, as well as I, that often people in this life are busy with questions of identity. We all want to know where we came from, who were my parents and grandparents and grandparents, and where was I born and where did I live and what was my upbringing like? In many ways, we get our identity from our past. But then along comes the New Testament Scriptures. And in a way it changes and amplifies everything. And it also changes how we look at our identity. 
For as a Christian, what should mean the most to us and impact us in the deepest sense is not what we have experienced in the past, but rather what Christ has done for us. In Him we have a new identity. In Him we are no longer dead to sin and slaves of sin. In Him we are no longer dead spiritually. But in Him we become alive to God. Sons and daughters of righteousness. For you see, His death has paid our ransom. His dying has set us free. His rising has given us life. His ascension gives us power. His ruling gives us confidence. And His coming again gives us hope. But notice, beloved, our identity begins and is based on His death. Yes, and it is this death that we may remember again today as we celebrate together the supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. May it remind you all of who you are and help you to become more and more who you are in Christ. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.